today on Abounding Grace. Perhaps it's just for me, and you can just hear, you know, what the Lord's talking to me in my own life, but God, he needs us to get desperate, put down our phones, turn off our TVs, and begin to spend time seeking the Lord. I'm not going to tell you how much time or any of that stuff. That's between you and the Lord. But Satan has just lulled us to sleep and mesmerized us. Jesus reminds us we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And while the nation is in deep trouble, so many are just goofing off. May God help us to cling to him, begging for his mercy. This is amazing grace. Life is full of battles, in case you haven't noticed. But the good news is God can lead you to victory just as he did for David. Join us in 2 Samuel 21 for an encouraging lesson from Pastor Ed Taylor today on Abounding Grace. At the end of the chapter, David is in one battle after another. And maybe you can relate on some level. The safest place and the most comfortable place and the most powerful place for you and I anywhere on this planet is to be found hidden in Jesus Christ, to have a clean life before him. All of us sin. It's not just for the people that have secret. We all sin every day. And some of you are going, well, Ed, I didn't sin today. You just sinned right now. You're lying to me. You did. Of course you did. You have a forgetful mind. We all do. We're, we're not, none of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. None of us. There isn't one, of, one among us here, there, listening on the other side of the country, listening in Hawaii right now, or Florida, or Texas, wherever you, it doesn't matter. None of us are sinless, but in Christ, as he is working that sanctifying work of the Spirit in us, we will sin less in our lives. We won't be bound by the trap of sin. And as we cultivate a prayer life, we'll be quick to confess. We won't be trapped under it. We won't try to hide it. We won't live a life of hypocrisy. It can only be a secret for so long, church, until it's full grown. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. And it's easy to fool yourself into thinking that you got away with it. But listen, you're only delaying the inevitable. No matter how well I think I've covered my tracks, the reality is, is that my sin will track me down. It will plague my steps. It will make me an ineffective believer in Jesus Christ. The devil's strategy, he sucks us into sin. Then he makes sure the sin surfaces to expose you, humiliate you, and condemn you. That's devil's strategy. He tempts you into sin. You remember the cartoons in the old days? They had the little angel on one side and the little devil on the other side. Well, consider life really, there's a devil on this side and a devil on this side. And on one side, of us, come on, nobody's going to know. Just come on. It's going to be okay. It's no big deal. Oh, you know what they teach at church or what you learn. Don't worry. Just do it. Do it. Come on. Come on. Just go ahead. And you suck into it. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then you start to think, oh. And then the devil shows up on the other side and goes, what an idiot you are. Why would you do that? Who do you think you are? What kind of believer are you? And the condemnation. And, and, and he just, his whole, his whole deal is to destroy us. He's such a liar and accuser. And the Lord is always drawing us near and saying, no, just be honest. Come clean. 
It was in David's life. Not too many chapters or previous years that those chapters represent in the Bible. That for nine or ten months, he thought he got away with it. Yeah, that sin with Bathsheba. Yeah, that murder. I'm the king. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to know. But God knew. And he hooked up a brother named Nathan with a little story to take to his buddy David. And that story revealed in David such a guilt and such a condemnation in his life where he pronounced judgment on himself and came clean before the Lord. Oh, that the Lord might remind us again that the most dangerous place to be in our spiritual life is not pressing forward, but kicking back, pulling away. It's when we start to relax spiritually. Well, as I mentioned with Achan, Achan's family paid the price for his sin. And so often it's those that are around us pay the price with us. It's best to press on, press forward. Notice verse 10, Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told that what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bet-Shan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul of Geboah. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Now, while the bodies hang there, one of the moms stood by for six months, protecting them, uh, covering them. And David heard of this and ordered the bodies to be buried. And you notice he went. For those of you going to Israel with us in just a few months, we're going to visit, verse 12, we're going to go to Beth Shen. And, and we'll be in that very area together. And he takes the bodies and he takes care of them. And, you know, the bottom line, as I see at the end of this, is just sin brings so much pain, so much agony to so many of us, the ones that we love. None of us are an island. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to walk lives that please him. He says in verse 15, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. And then Ishbenab, who is one of the sons of the giant, the weight of those bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. And it happened afterward there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob and Sibachai the Hushatite killed Saph who was one of the sons of the giant. And again there was a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan the son of you see the name Behethamite killed the brother of the Goliath the Gittite the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again there was a battle in Gath and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 24 in number. What a sight that must have been. And he, he, That would have been total a Twitter, like that would have gone viral, that picture of his hands. 
And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, killed him. And these four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So even, these ba- even though these battles are in the physical realm, hand-to-hand combat in a very real and literal way, kingdom against kingdom, Philistines an enemy of the children of Israel forever, they just hate the people of God. Just even as we were praying earlier, right, there's opposition, uh, and there's just people that hate the people of God. It's just what they're into. That's what they're wanting to do. They're just wanting to, I don't know if you saw it recently, but, you know, following uh, Ken Ham and the opening of the ark, and, and he keeps posting these videos of Bill Nye visiting, and Bill Nye just walks through trying to rip off kids' faith, just straight up. Just want to rip them off right on video. He doesn't care. He's an enemy of God. And yet we pray for him. Because when he gets saved, the world's just going to go crazy. That's Ken Ham's heart, you know, to see Bill and I get saved. I hope it's your heart, even though it's hard to watch those videos. Because that little girl that he was talking to, there's a recent one. I should, I'll probably post it. I'll find it and post it today, um, tonight or tomorrow. But even that girl he's trying to mess with, she's strong in her faith, man. Even the little girl, man. Telling Bill and I how it's like. Telling him what, about her faith. And of course, uh, Ken Ham is there to, to speak the truth into his life. But there's just people that want to rip people off. I, I saw recently an article as well, uh, reading through on my Twitter feed, that uh, now uh, this crazy church of Satan or whatever, you can't even call it a church, just, now they want to have after-school clubs for the devil. But they don't understand this. They're already after school clubs for the devil. The devil's already doing damage among our kids. Already wanting to rip off our kids. And they kind of make a caricature of the devil, but the devil's real. He's already gathering kids and adults, their parents, their grandparents, and already doing great damage. And it's for us, you and I as the church, to be salt and light on the earth. To really stand in the gap for those that have no voice or those that don't know the difference. You know, your life is so valuable and so important. It's so important that you and I avoid sin for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the ones that are watching us looking for an example. It's so important for us to get involved in kids' lives, to get involved in our neighbors' lives, to not just be a gathered group of people in a room for an hour. That's not the church. The church is you and me living out our lives for Jesus Christ every day, everywhere, all the time, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where the difference makes. Yes, the gathering is good. It's to build us up and to strengthen us. It's to remind us of the goodness of God. Even today in, the, in my devos, I was just so encouraged by this verse in Psalm 34. It's awesome. It says, you know, the psalmist is just crying out. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. Yes, let's get, a, get together. But Why? Not to think that we've accomplished being the church, but to be prepared and equipped as we leave as the church. That's where it makes a difference. When you go to work tomorrow, and you go to a work in a place that you're probably real kind of frustrated with right now, just not really happy with your boss, or not happy with the chair that they gave you, and your keyboard's missing three keys, and a new policy's there, And then you found out they switched the chair on you and yours only has three wheels now and you're all sideways and your desk is messed up and somebody spilled coffee and you're just like, I can't believe I'm here. You're there by the will of God. Three wheels and all, man. You're there for the will of God. You're there for the person that just got hired. 
You're there for the mom that's, that's grieving. You're there for the dad that is struggling. You're there for the customers coming in. You're all mad at the customers, but God has sent you those people. What are you mad at them for? I tell you why. I tell you why we get mad or why we get frustrated. So we forgot we're the salt and light. We forgot that we are where we are by the will of God. We forgot that we're the church sent, not just the church gathered. Oh yeah, let's exalt his name together. Let's sing, let's pray, let's encourage. I mean, for some of you, this is the only encouragement you get all week. That's why we spend a lot of hours as a ministry team, a lot of hours invested to prepare an environment so you can be encouraged, so you can be refreshed, so you can be reminded of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and the power of God, and the sovereignty of God. So you can leave reminded as a world that's in chaos because of sin, has a God that's still on the throne waiting to fulfill. The only reason Jesus hasn't come back yet, besides not the pre-appointed time by the Father, is because there are people still yet to be saved. Because when he comes back and establishes his kingdom, when he comes back and the culmination of history ends at the end of the great tribulation period, that's it. There won't be any need to pray anymore. There won't be any need to intercede anymore. But now while we wait, we're not just waiting to kick back and hope he comes soon. We anticipate, the Bible says that waiting for the soon return of Jesus, waiting for the rapture of the church should bring about a purity in our lives. It should purify us. It should stir us. You are where you are by the will of God. And when you and I are in the flesh, it interrupts the work of the Spirit in our lives. It interrupts what God wants to accomplish through us. It interrupts how God wants to use us. These battles at the end of chapter 21, even though they are hand-to-hand combat, they remind us of God's favor and protection. First of all, we see it in David's life. Victory after victory after victory. Except, remember, victory doesn't come without a fight. That's where victory comes from. After a fight. After a battle. After the enemies of God come after the people of God. David experienced victory because God fought for him. God protected him. God went before him. And these are often the themes in David's psalms, as you'll see in the next couple chapters of a couple psalms that are shared. The victory of God. God blesses David with military victories far beyond what anyone would normally expect. Why? Because God was with him. He was God's faithful anointed servant, and in Jesus Christ, God is with you. That's pretty cool. In the Lord, God is with us. In the Lord, he fights for us. In the Lord, he goes before us. Earlier we mentioned how David delayed in prayer for three days, and, and the Lord remind us, us, reminds us of pressing in. But the positive part of David's prayer is that it was good that, God sought, that David sought the Lord for the nation. It was good that he prayed. It, it was good because even at the end of verse 14, God heeded the prayer for the land. It was good. In times of national peril, God expects us to cry out to him. And when David cries out, notice, God reveals not only the cause, but also the cure to the nation's ills. Listen. Listen. Our nation is in great peril. It's a time of great peril. Our country's in big trouble. I don't think we need to argue that. 
It's pretty obvious and has been for some time. From a moral standpoint, we're in trouble. From a spiritual standpoint, we're in trouble. From a military standpoint, we're in trouble. From an economic standpoint, we're in trouble. From a political standpoint, we're in any way you want to look at it. Our nation is in a mess, is in trouble. I don't think too many people would argue with me that when I make the statement that as a nation, we are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Our leaders have long since abandoned God and turned to idols and idolatry. And who suffers when the leaders go astray? The people. That's a pattern all throughout the scriptures. It doesn't matter what kind of system it is. It doesn't matter what kind of leadership exists. If the leadership strays away from God, the people suffer. It's, it's repeated all throughout the Bible. And I believe that God wants to bring revival. He wants to revive what has gone bankrupt to stir our nation. Just like Solomon prayed. And remember God answered. Turn over with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The prayer of Solomon. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. As Solomon prayed, remember God answered. And pick up with me in verse 13. Well, really, let's go to verse 12 for the context. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. This is God's answer. When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And as for you, if you walk before me as your father David, walked and do, not do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I'll establish the throne of your kingdom as I covenanted with David, your father, saying, you shall never fail to have a ruler, a man as ruler in Israel, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I've set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I'll uproot you, or excuse me, I'll uproot them from my land, which I've given them, in this house which I've sanctified for my name, and I'll cast out of my sight, and will look to be a proverb and a byword among all the nations. We, we need to seek the Lord's face. That's what the Bible says. We don't need to be posting on Facebook, man. We need to be seeking God's face. How's this? I didn't, I didn't have this in my notes, but we don't need to be posting on Facebook. We need to open the book and seek God's face. How's that? That's pretty good. It's probably a little out of order, but I'll fix it later. <laughs> like, we're, I, I don't even look at the feeds anymore because it discouraged me of how many believers aren't seeking the Lord. Like, Facebook is going to change something. Like, it's going to make a big difference in heaven. And all it does is stir up the flesh. I can't even look at it anymore. If we would just pray and seek God's face, He would honor that. He'll answer that. He'll start a little revival just in our own lives, in our own homes. We'll have little kingdoms of God in our homes. Where? Why? Because the kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. Jesus said the kingdom of God is inside of us not only waiting for it to be manifested at his return. I mean, really, church, that's, that's what God is wanting to stir in us. I, I know how bad it is. I've got kids. I have a grandson. 
I, I, I know, man, things are not good. Things are not good on more than one level. But the reality is this. God is on the throne. He's going to take care of those things. And the church can either get involved and start loving people like Jesus loved, or the church can sit on the sidelines like it has for the last many years and watch the world pass us by. I haven't seen too many articles lately. Perhaps you have and you can send it to me. But I really haven't seen too many articles that says, hey, the church came to town, it's turning the world upside down. I mean, there's little pockets of revival, little places of revival. Even in our own church, I'm seeing families turned around. I'm seeing the world turned upside down for families. Today might be the day for you where you recognize as we talk about these heavy things about sin and hiding sin and the way out of sin is to recognize that the gift of God is eternal life. And, and there may be just you, that just you today, it starts in your home, there's a little revival, and then the ripple effects start to affect everyone else. I mean, I see that all the time, but as far as a nation, I don't see rulers of nations saying, hey, don't let the church come here, because I hear they're turning the world upside down. The world seems to be turning the, world, the church upside down. You and me. I just sense... Perhaps it's just for me, and you can just hear, you know, what the Lord's talking to me in my own life, but God, he needs us to get desperate. Put, the, put down our phones, turn off our TVs, and begin to spend time seeking the Lord. I'm not going to tell you how much time or any of that stuff. That's between you and the Lord. But Satan has just lulled us to sleep and mesmerized us. Jesus reminds us we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And while the nation is in deep trouble, so many are just goofing off. May God help us to cling to him, begging for his mercy. Well, we've been in the book of 2 Samuel today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. Would you like a CD copy of this message? CD copies can be purchased for $2 by calling us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877 877- 304-7223 or listen online 24-7 at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to grow on the go is to download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. This month, we're pleased to offer an excellent book written by Ray Bentley. It's called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy, but this will help you step into its fulfillment. Pastor Ray spotlights significant prophetic signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives of today's Israelis and Palestinians. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. It would be so nice to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460-598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. With these concluding thoughts, here again is Ed. David, at the end of chapter 21, is fighting battle after battle. What battle are you fighting? What enemy is in your face? Where are you giving God the victory and the, the credit for the victories that he has in your life? Turn over to Psalm 67 and we will close here. 
David's fighting, David's battling, and David's victorious. And while there's been seasons in, in our, the, the history of our country, there's been seasons uh, in the history of our life where things have been dire, there's also God's promise of renewal and revival. And so what, what is the psalm, what is the prayer of the psalmist's heart? God be merciful to us, Psalm 67 verse 1, and bless us, cause his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Such a prophetic promise. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, verse 6. Then the earth shall yield her increase, and God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Join us for our next study in 2 Samuel. That's on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.